Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I am here, AJ, here with my man, Frank. How's it going? Hey, buddy. We also joined this episode uh, by our good buddy and fellow Long Lost Hero uh, from way back in the day, the original even, Matt Zion Basile. How you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you for thank you for jumping on, man. Okay, so uh, we've been off for a while. We've been out, uh, you know, kind of. I was doing some traveling. Uh, we were hitting up some Yankee games. We were living life and having a good time. But now we are back and ready to rock and roll for the fall. So we wanted to get a little bit of catching up to do on some of the stuff we did on our summer vacation. Uh, I went to uh, Germany and Greece for a couple of weeks. It was crazy. Uh, I did work the first half and then pretty much played the second half. That's definitely what I did. Frank, what did you do on your summer vacation? Uh, I mean, I, I took a trip like back in June, but I I didn't really go anywhere since then. I just kind of had a lot of random weekend things happening. Like I went out to Mattituck with my family and we went crabbing and stuff and, and ate a lot of good food. Um, but yeah, just been kind of kind of chilling uh we had some uh friends come in from out of town we showed them new york city which was really cool um zibi what have you been up to man man um well was in new york with you guys in the beginning of the summer was that the beginning of the summer or the middle of the summer beginning of the summer july 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 okay which was nice um and then you know i've been on a lot of sales trips recently i just got back from portland yesterday i was there for 24 hours and the week before that i was in san francisco for three days so it's been busy on that front but in let's see in two weeks time i am going to scotland with my dad and my cousin aaron for a scotch extravaganza that we are going to celebrate my dad's 70th birthday which he turned last year so that's exciting we're gonna be there for five or six days and then i'm gonna fly to italy after that and my lovely girlfriend sophia is gonna meet me and then we're gonna do like seven nights in italy and then i'm gonna come back to life (laughs) (laughs) that sounds awesome so i mean you both have like these epic trips (laughs) Yeah. 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 This one was kind of like, you know, the reason we went to Greece was like not because we're like, you know, oh, let's go fuck around. We had got invited by family friends and we stayed at a uh, like a villa in uh, Porto Heli, which is like the uh, southern region tip of the peninsula, looking at this like beautiful Greek island. It was it was awesome. But like ultimately, you know. It's interesting, like, we're all old enough, like, we've all done Airbnbs a couple times. I think these people had, too. And, like, you know, at the end of the day, you don't really want to stay with somebody's mom anymore. <laughs> it, it, right. You know, right. so, it's, so it's, like, as fun as all the food was, it's, like, okay, you know, let's, we're, we're trying to be on vacation now, lady. <laughs> I don't know. I thought you were there for a wedding or something. No, they so they're getting married. The people we we stayed with, they're getting married uh, next year, but they had invited us 
to the family of the of the people invited us to go out there to like hang out with them, the three girls and the you know the two well like the two girls and the two uh, husbands. So we got invited to go out there and stay in their house and hang around. They showed us a fabulous time. It was awesome. That's awesome. Well, I feel like I have to plug my last thing then because you guys are making it sound so awesome. Um, I'm going to Toronto in like two weeks for like a long weekend uh, with Megan's family. We're going, we're actually going to uh, Blue Jays Yankees game, which is pretty cool, crossing off another stadium. That's awesome. Yeah, and then we're going to do Niagara oh, Falls nice. and everything. So I think it'll be a cool time. Like the, the weather will be great in, in Toronto in September. So a nice last capper for the for the summer. Oh, hell yeah. You're, you're doing it, man. You're getting a getaway. <laughs> okay, so. I just, uh, speaking of Yankees, I just did Yankees-Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. Oh, shit. Which right. was wild. Um, felt like a playoff game. Super intense. Lots of fan, you know, fans were really into it. And, you know, it kind of felt like a World Series preview or hopeful World Series preview. It was um, really exciting and also really exciting to, to win there. And, you know, yeah, yeah that was awesome. Yeah. So, anywho, hopefully I get to do it again in October. That would be crazy. From your lips to God's ears. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, in yeah. other news, um, so the Yankees are doing good. Let's hope that they keep doing good. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but in other news, we did get to go see the new uh, Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie. Uh, we all saw this film. Uh, we Frank actually hooked us way up and, and took us to go see the movie at BAM. Uh, and it was fantabulously uh, pointed and lovely and uh, cool, like stadium seating. ZB, where'd you go see this movie? I saw the ArcLight um, in Culver, but we got to see it on a 35 millimeter print, which was, you know, nice. It had, you know, the film flickers and the burns and, you know, just kind of felt like the right way to see that film. Yeah, ours was in 35 millimeter too. So that, yeah, it's definitely the way to see it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I'm, I wanted to talk about this movie because I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot and I've been listening to the soundtrack a lot. And I just, I loved, I loved it, man. I think it was like a really great movie to take part in and to go see. It felt like an event. Uh, but enough about me. Frank, what did you think, buddy? Um, yeah, I think, um, it, obviously it's been like almost a month <laughs> since we saw it, but so it's not quite as fresh, uh, but I did enjoy it. I think, uh, you know, I, I'm not like super duper well-versed on all of Tarantino's movies. I think I've seen the majority of them, but it's not like I'm, um, it's not like I've rewatched them often to really get his thing, but you know, I had a really fun time. It felt kind of long to me. I enjoyed it. I don't think it's my favorite of all of his, but it was it was definitely like more accessible. I think like if if everyone if someone's like, oh, I've never seen a Tarantino movie, um, this might be one to to check out, and then you can kind of go into some of his other his other things. Interesting, uh, Matthew. What did you yeah. think, my friend? Um, I thought you know, going back to 
what you said of it feeling like an event, you know, I think that's just because of the director he is. And, you know, he makes a film every like, you know, five or six years or, or something like that. So, and he's already stated that, you know, he only plans to make 10 films or something like that. So it's like a finite amount of time. work this guy is going to put going to put out. So it kind of leaves you in this place where you're like, okay, like, I don't know, he's he's put himself on this pedestal and, and you know, rightfully so. I mean, he's one of the greatest American filmmakers, um, you know, ever. So, you know, when he does make a film, people people obviously take notice and he's able to, you know, get the best um, actors and, you know, the best, he just, he just brings out the best in a lot of people. Um, he's definitely a performance-driven director. You know, the performances he gets out of his, his talent is pretty unmatched. So it's interesting to see uh, how this translates after that kind of long layoff. But, you know, I, I liked it. I, again, like Frank said, wouldn't be my favorite of his films. And I feel like in a lot of ways it was uncharacteristically Tarantino. You know, it was violent, um, for better or for worse. You know, I think people go into those things kind of expecting some, you know. Gore. <laughs> gruesome gore um and this has it but you know in a very small amount um but yeah i you know it's definitely a little long but you're definitely involved entrenched in the world that he built it um it's just a fun ride you know i i think i didn't have high expectations for it i just thought thing I did think was the one thing that didn't happen, which, you know, we could talk about further. Is this a spoiler? Um, or We will get there. Yeah, I mean... Okay. I, I, yeah, I mean, this is just kind of our first run. So, okay. let's... Okay, let's... Okay, let's deep dive a little bit further. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think the, the idea that Tarantino is putting, like, a finite amount of films out, like... It, it does kind of, like, matter. And, like, you want to get over there and see what's going on. So my hope is that, like, he doesn't just make 10 films and he does, like, maybe 12 films or whatever he's going to do. Um, but... Yeah, uh, I mean, especially because, like, you know, the rumor mill right now has been surrounding his script for Star Trek. And, like, while I think it would be really cool to see his take on Star Trek, like, I don't know if that makes sense to be his final film. No, he's not, not going to... He's not going to do it. I, I just can't see how a guy who's made original content and wrote all of his own scripts for 10 movies is going to go into the franchise world, right? A Star Trek movie. I think what, I think what he would do if they would open to it, he would do a Star Trek series like on, on, you know, Amazon or Netflix or something like that. Cause he's already expressed interest. Like, yeah, I'm going to make 10 films, but I might not be done making you know, being a filmmaker, I, you know, might move into television or plays or something else. You know, I think just that medium he may be done with for for now. Like, you know, it could be something easily in 25 years where he has a great idea. He's going to make a film. You know, I think people get burnt out and and, you know, kind of bored and they also want to kind of go out on top. But, you know, everyone loves a comeback and, you know, that would that wouldn't surprise me either. But I think for the interim, it's going to be another film that's going to be an original. It sounds like, I don't know, I saw things he wants to make a horror film, which, you know, yeah, that makes would be cool. a lot of sense. 
mm-hmm. which could be grounded in some historical context because that seems to be also what he likes to do. Like, and and then yeah, and then maybe he'll step away, and then he'll either do some television, which I think would be cool if he did, you know, Star Trek, like a fucking HBO Tarantino Star Trek. That'd be people would watch the shit out of that. Uh, but awesome. I just don't think a Star Trek movie in the big screen in the theaters is what he wants to spend the next like five years of his life making. I have to, I have to agree with you. I, I, I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to do it. I think it's a cool rumor that goes out there. Like, I think it's of all the things that like he would, he could want to make, like he could make any Marvel superhero, any obscure Marvel superhero. He could raise his hand in the air. They'd give him all the fucking money and he could, he could go and do it. You know, like similarly with like his TV show, filmmaking things, he could go and direct things for these streaming networks at some point. He already broke up uh, Hateful Eight into four episodes for Netflix. Like, uh, I think you, you have a tremendous point in that he's going to continue on. I hope that Star Trek, um, you know, does get to make a fourth movie. But we're not here to talk about Star Trek. We are here to talk about this latest film. So I, I thought that, like, the, I think the acting in this movie is probably my favorite part. The chemistry between... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio just felt like so awesome and like a great portrayal of like how these two actors and people in show business in this time period would get along. Uh, do you, I mean, like what is, do you have a favorite part of this like movie put together before we get into spoilers? I think, yeah, I think that's the biggest draw to it is seeing these two, you know, two of arguably the biggest actors in our generation multi-generational in Hollywood, you know, working together not as like leading and supporting, but almost having like two leads. I mean, Leo's the lead, yes, but I mean, I don't think he outshines Brad Pitt in any way. Um, And it it feels like they both have enough meat on the bone, which, you know, talk about, you know, Hollywood's full of egos. So for them to take that and I don't know, just it just felt like he did a nice job of kind of delivering two a-list stars you know strong performances on with media roles um i felt like margot robbie's character was wasted um there wasn't like all she did was like pop around and dance and like she was just kind of there to be this almost throw people off yeah, I mean, she was kind of like a, a figure because like, you don't know what's going to happen to her. You're watching her through the movie because you're like glued, like because of your expectations, right? So one thing you do know about the movie is that um, is that Sharon Tate gets murdered, and that's that's the only expectation I think a lot of people had going into this film. So you're like, oh, Margot Robbie's playing Sharon Tate. What do I know about Sharon Tate? She got fucking murdered. Um, so yeah, it keeps like. It's this little thing that just keeps that you have in the back of your mind while you're watching this film. You're like, when's this one thing I know that's going to happen? Happen. Yeah. All right. Let's get into spoilers because it's kind of hard to dance around some of these things. Um, um, yeah. So obviously she doesn't get murdered. <laughs> um, and uh, everything in Tarantino verse kind of is uh historical fiction so it's like based on truth but different things happen um you asked aj like what my favorite part i think is probably um 
when uh, Brad Pitt's character goes to the ranch and just like that tension builds it's just like you've been waiting for something to happen like i really enjoyed like the the films of leo like on set and stuff like that but like you're like okay when's another like the next thing gonna happen what's the when's the shoe gonna drop and that just like i don't know 20 minute scene is just like you're glued to your seat you're like what's gonna happen this is this is crazy um and just the way yeah. it's shot is just so beautiful and it just yeah you, you it's still after that you're kind of like all right like anything can happen still we don't know I love that scene. I was it was awesome. I love I thought it was really fun how uh you like come into it feeling safe and you like you get so into it you're like, "Oh shit, this is the shit could go down right now." Uh okay, I that I agree that was awesome. I okay, let's talk about Sharon Tate. We all okay. So, here's my here's my thing with Tarantino's alternate history. So you can go back to around the time when he was doing promotion for the Hateful Eight. I think he was on some 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 t- like off-brand entertainment talk show with Kurt Russell and uh, Sam Jackson, and they were talking about like the Tarantino universe and how this all exists, right? So there's the Tarantino realer than real universe, which is like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and like, and also Inglorious Bastards, and the reason people are more violent in this universe is because of the events of how the bastards killed Hitler, right? And then that would affect the kids who grew up after that. You know, you could see that in a little bit in the movie when they're kind of referencing it in the beginning, and then you get to, uh, you know, Once Upon a Time also taking place in this universe. And then you have movies like Kill Bill and uh, The Dust Before Dawn. I think that's the name of the movie. Um, these movies take place in the movie universe of the realer than real characters. So, like, the, when the people, so like when Vincent Vega, his dead zombie ass, goes to the movies, he goes and sees, uh, like, Kill Bill, right? So he, like, explained this whole, like, elaborate thing. And I thought that that was really cool. And I think that one thing like we're mm. seeing in these movies is that this is like Quentin Tarantino's like alternate history, right? And that this is like all of his Marvel his MCU. It is. It's his MCU. <laughs> yeah. And he's been making these movies and that they all kind of exist in this world. And he I, I think that that's fucking kind of pure and cool. And, and it, it kind of all makes sense. When you look down, you know, even at the subtleties of the red apple cigarettes and the fucking, uh, you know, um, it, it just it all it all kind of carries through. So I don't fault Tarantino like it. Having known that, I go into this movie different than someone who doesn't know that and doesn't have the expectation of like what happened in Inglorious Bastards. I saw that movie in fucking Israel. That movie is nine like ninety percent speaking in a foreign language with subtitles, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> uh, so, like, when you see the end of that movie, it's just jo- shocking and jarring. You have no idea kind of what's going on. And when I watched it again, it was, like, so much more awesome. And watching this, you're kind of like, oh, well, how's this going to change? And once you saw the kids in the car, I was like, oh, shit. This is what they're going to do. And I, uh, I'm... I don't know. I thought it made for a pretty fun and interesting Tarantino ending that you can do in today's world. 
Um, I don't think you can, you know, twist for sure, because I, sorry. No, no, you're, no, you're right. It's a great twist. Uh, I don't think in this world you can kill Sharon Tate the way she was murdered and imply the things that Sharon Tate did. This is kind of what I wanted to get to the next part of like, is this is like a, a little bit of a controversy, right? Like there's like, people are upset, uh, you know, people, we, you know, there's, people who are upset that there's like, there's no black people in this movie. Like the whole point of like the original Sharon Tate's murder was that they were gonna make it look like black people did it. And like, this was gonna start the race war. So like, I kind of understand right. going in this totally different way that was pretty sanitized of that referencing. So like having like looked at it that, like that's why it kind of Most changed my mind on the unrest. movie. Yeah. Let's go. Keep. Go- what do you think? Counterpoint. Somebody. Anybody? I don't have a. I don't have a counterpoint because I agree with you. Um, it feels like you know, middle-aged white man in Hollywood making the movie he wants to see, and you know, it's it. It feels. I'm not, not saying Tarantino's not woke because he's at this point able to do kind of whatever the fuck he wants. I'm just saying it feels like kind of a missed opportunity to, I don't know, have more of a stance on... No, you're 100% right. You're, there, there could have been other things that they could have done in 1969 L.A. that give you any taste or flavor of what's going on outside this world of white celebrities. You're 100% right. Um, right, and, it, and it's throughout the film, you know, even in the beginning where he's like, oh, don't cry in front of the Mexicans, it, and then... You know how they how they handle um, you know Bruce Lee and kind of just like you know demoralize him and make him kind of a cartoon character. Cartoon yeah. character. Yeah, I mean, so like to be totally honest with you, like I did not do my homework beforehand. I mean, I knew about Sharon Tate and knew about Charles Manson, but like after I saw this movie, I went on some deep dives and had some like dark experiences reading up on what fucking Charles Manson did and what his ideas were. And it's some crazy shit. And like, it's like you, like you said, ZB, like missed opportunity. If we're telling an alternate history here, like they could have done some crazy things and like made a real stance on, on, you know, because it it is so relevant today that they basically, they obviously they ignored it completely. That whole element of this, of the, the true life story of Charles Manson and you know, he's barely in it. And I think, I mean, that's fine, I guess, but it just, it takes a little bit. No, of the, I want I want more of him. Oh yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I feel like that's like one of the things you're waiting for is like to see like what's going to happen. And then it, he's like barely in it. <laughs> right. He has, he has one scene and you, you, I don't know, like given Tarantino and what Manson, you're like, I'm going to see some fucked up shit. You know, I'm going to see some murders. I'm going to see some, you know, some just evil shit and never really ha- happens. Um, and like you were saying about when he goes to the, you know, the ranch scene, the one time you start to feel you're like, okay, this is to happen and get to the point where you're like, now it feels like a Tarantino movie. And then it doesn't until, you know, the last 15 minutes of the film. And that's like kind of the only bit we get. So it kind of seems like a long winded, like a really fun ride and the enjoyable, but 
as a whole, it kind of feels leaves me wanting more or, or something else. I just like just felt it didn't feel super fulfilled, and which is maybe okay. It's maybe just like th that's what it is, you know. Um, so I think I have a theory of what this movie is kind of about. And like, I just want to talk about this because I think this is really what Tarantino was trying to say. So I, I'm going to stand, you know, I agree with everything we were, we were just saying. Like, you know, obviously you should have portrayed Manson more evilly and not, you know, to be this kind of guy who shows up at the beginning that there's all this intrigue, but we learn really nothing about. Um, and I think that kind of the, if you look at it in a different way that like from a certain point of view, uh, that you know, uh, we don't pay any part, Tarantino pays no party to any of this guy's crazy beliefs or what he's going to do. It's not in the movie. Um, and with that, like Tarantino is really trying to talk to us, I think a little bit. I think that he sees like the guys of this generation, like the guys who are making these movies, they were both in the war, you know, they were, you know, kind of growing up and, and now, uh, you know, had already, you know, been through life and now we're going through the ringer of being, you know, a middle-aged dude working in Hollywood. You know, he had, he had killed his wife or so we're led to believe. Um, and, you know, that ultimately the scary people in this movie are the young people and that the young people, like, while they may seem like, you know, hippie-ish and nice and sweet and altruistic, like you see like how quickly like that girl turns on a dime when she yells at the cop in the car, like that's really like intentional. And then when you get to that scene, like it's not really the fear of uh, like well, that the kids are gonna like stab him or that like, you know, Freddy Krueger is gonna come out. It's like, what are like all these kids together gonna like do to overpower Brad Pitt to really fuck with him? Like they could really fuck with him if they wanted to right now. And then at the end where they're like just so stupid and high and not giving a shit and not thinking about what they're doing, like that that's at their most dangerous state. So like, it's interesting that like Tarantino, who's like whole thing is, you know, his first two movies have tons of references to, you know, weed and other stuff that like, there's not really a whole ton of weed or weed talk in this movie, but that it's really more around like the ideals and like the, like the hippie-ish nature of these kids and they're kind of like dirty, like scary demeanor. That is really what he's trying to talk about. Does anybody else feel this way, or, or am I totally crazy? I don't know if it's necessarily about I, the hippiness. Sorry, go ahead, ZB. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I, I just never thought of it that way. But I, I totally hear where you're coming from. Makes a lot of sense. I, if anything, I, I could see him commenting more on just like the general outlook and demeanor of young people like like trying to draw a parallel of the the hippies of the the late 60s to the, the 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 young people nowadays and just sort of like the the way that you know i guess it's not necessarily even millennials but like the next generation are kind of connected to media and you know it just it's it could be a commentary on that in a way but I think I, it, I think it is. I think it's him saying like these young people with their new ideology and their technology, like just because they think that they're all like in this group thing together, it doesn't mean that they're all right or that any of them are right or that any of what they're doing is okay. 
and that like a lot of what they could actually be doing is probably really fucked up, even though it's hidden under this like you know uh, you know supposedly nice persona or yeah, friendly the ki- persona. The kids were brainwashed by Manson, and now everyone's brainwashed by the internet. Um, yeah, that's my theory. I'm sticking okay. to it. Cool. But um, here's the here's the thing about that also is, is he made the, this he's probably had the script of this film three four years ago shot the film two years ago you know a year and some day you know I know we've been in this political climate for a little bit but do you think he had that much foresight and finger on the pulse to to make it about that, you know, four or five years ago for today's time. Well, I don't think it's something that's like, uh, I don't think it's something that four years ago you wouldn't have been able to find. Like, I think that was like almost when it was just starting to get crazy. So what, it's 2019, so that's 2015. So at that point, you know, we're seeing, you know, we're not necessarily seeing how everything is today but you're but you're seeing on college campuses stories about you know safe spaces and you know people kids yelling at their professors and all this kind of entitlement shit and i think that maybe he's uh you know maybe he could he could see that the phones were making us pretty you know self-centered i don't know yeah it's a tough it's a tough it's a good question and i mean i think Maybe mm-hmm. part of that is like it, the fact that four years ago, like maybe there's some of the political unrest that's not shown in this movie. Some of the like Me Too movement stuff that wasn't really reflected here. A lot of the the racial divide wasn't really like addressed. And and may, maybe maybe he had more stuff in there, and you know, studio wanted him not to put it in because because it's such a hot topic. Um, I don't know, or or maybe it was just not something he wanted to approach, but yeah, I, I, I could see that um, time maybe not shining quite as good of a light on it just because it, it missed some of those, those key moments that are happening right now. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, okay. So all in all, like, yes, like I, I like this movie. Like, I think it's a cool um, entry into his, you know, into his, into his film repertoire. I'm excited to see the. I'm excited to see the next one. Like I'll just keep going. Uh, do you think that this like changes your opinion of Tarantino in any way? Either of you, do you feel like walking away? This changes how you feel. I mean, I'm gonna throw no. it to ZDB. No, not at all. I mean, it, it like you said, it fits in his world really well. Um, if it's any like his last, you know, couple of films, Hateful Eight, not Hateful Eight, uh, Django and. Inglorious Bastards, you know, continuing to rewrite history and historical context for certain things. I guess you could say painfully too. Maybe I don't know. Um, no, they're all. You know, those are in the real. Those are in the real than real universe. Django too. Yeah, yeah. You want um Yeah, and, and it's it's been a minute since he's been in LA, and he loves where he's from, and he loves movies. This was a nice love letter to Hollywood. Um, and, you know, watching the film makes you want to move to Hollywood and, and drive around and drive down Sunset Boulevard. It it definitely, you know, shined a light and portrayed it in, in, a, in a glorious way. 
so no, it it, it doesn't um, doesn't change my view on him at all. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I mean, I think the main thing here in this movie, it's way less gruesome than than some of his other films, and I I think maybe that's kind of on purpose. So like someone could be like, well, maybe he's lost his edge and he's not going for the this you know that kind of craziness anymore. But like, I think that was sort of a like. I, I'm I'm gonna try something new here, and I'm gonna still throw it in, but it's not gonna be like you're. I'm I'm doing this because you expect you expect point. it to be crazy, yeah. And so he can kind of do that because go subvert our expectations. Yeah, and you know what? Thinking about what we were just talking about, you know, the political relevance of it. I don't know. Does every film that comes out have have to be watched under you know the lens of the current political climate. Like if you watch this film in 15, 20 years, does it, you know, will people, what was happening in 2019? You know, I, I don't know. I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, I, yes, but okay. So here's how that's all going to work. Like there, picture yourself and we're going to be in the wokeness museum. Okay. <laughs> because we're going to take all the things that weren't woke and we're going to put them in a place where you can go and you can look at them and you can go and you can point and you can like see, oh, look, this is when white people used to wear dreads. Oh, look at these crazy hippies. Oh, boy. And you can walk to the next exhibit and you could go and you could see like, oh, remember when, you know, used to be able to say faggot and then like everywhere you could go, like there'll be little buttons and you could hear faggot in all different languages and like i think that like ultimately in the future like political correctness it, it's it, it we should start thinking of it as political politeness or like reasonable politeness like if whatever you're doing is reasonably impolite to somebody out without the you know the auspices of a performance or a comedy club or you know a, anything crazy like this is what you're gonna say, and I think that we there's gonna be some kind of meeting in the middle because we can't get rid of everything that wasn't woke. Like you just you just can't. Like there's just too much stuff that happened in the before times in the long long ago, and I, I don't think we should have to. We, we don't worry about watching movies like that are coming out now. What we really should be worried about is like movies that came out in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that we love that are ultimately going to be taken away. Like, that is, that's like the the next immediate threat. And like, the battle for like keeping Taxi Driver on the AFI list will be a, a, a something to come up for sure. Uh, there's going to be crazy, you know, things about, um, you know, what is, what is going to be acceptable and how we're going to keep these really crazy depictions of art, you know, in the culture, or maybe even outside of it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think certain things for sure, but like sometimes just movies can kind of transcend the time period that they're in and you kind of forget what they are. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily this movie, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think it was fun. I think it was a cool experience. I'm glad he had a new movie um super eager to see what he does next to kind of like cap it all off but um anything else guys no i'm good 
Awesome. Um, well, this was our conversation on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So um, hope you all enjoyed it. If you have other thoughts on on this film, please let us know. You can email at us at info at longlostheroes.net. You can contact us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LLH Podcast. Um, please subscribe on iTunes and all the other places. Um, and so for now, uh, we are going to sign off, um, but stay tuned soon. We're going to have another episode in the next couple of days, uh, cover some uh, of the news topics that have been going on this summer. Um, so thank you very much. Thanks, AJ. And thanks, Matt, for, for joining us tonight. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Talk to you later. All right. Bye.